Welcome to Launched. I'm Charlie Chapman, and today I'm excited to bring you the coder, writer, speaker behind the amazing Hacking with Swift website, Paul Hudson. Paul, welcome to the show. Oh, it's great to be here, Charlie. Thanks for having me. I am. I'm very excited. Uh, we we met once before in the uh, the amazing um, happy hour, happy hour, iOS mm. happy hour thing that's started up since this pandemic. And uh, I know you you're a huge fan of Star Wars, so I just figured we'd devote this entire <laughs> thing to the Star Wars franchise uh, because of how passionate you are for it. <laughs> Um, so, uh, folks who haven't been to the happy hour may not realize there are some uh, hardcore Star Wars fans <laughs> there who would very much enjoy talking about Star Wars a great deal during the happy hour. And I have almost negative interest on Star Wars. <laughs> and the interesting thing is there are other, um, like I get emails from random people to other Paul Hudson's who think they have my email address. And one's a, a, a weather reporter and one's a massive Star Wars fan. Oh, I get man. emails all the time about weather and Star Wars. And like, I just don't, I couldn't care less. Weather, weather and Star Wars together. Like the weather in Star Wars? That would be a curious, <laughs> particular kind of fan, wouldn't it? A curious uh, fan, that one. Star Wars feels like a big enough fan base that that's, that's a niche that probably exists. I bet it does, you know. <laughs> I, I, said, I, I looked into it. There's lots of folks like trying to compare universes, like how big a Star Wars ship versus Star Trek ships kind of thing. And they're measuring them down to like deck size and length and da, da, da. And it's very, very interesting. But yeah, it's, it's not for me. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we get into to hacking with Swift, um, I'd like to give everybody a primer on who you are, other than, you know, your huge passion for the Star Wars franchise. Yeah. Uh, so the three questions I always ask everybody is, where are you from? Do you have like a formal education related to what you do? And then what was your career like leading up to hacking with Swift? Okay, so three questions back to back, so I can remember them all. Where I'm from, <laughs> um, uh, I think I, it's hard to tell these days. I, I'm from the UK, obviously, but thanks to Game of Thrones, uh, on one side we have you know people slaughtering each other with an English accent over there, and then of course uh, more recently we have uh, Ted Lasso showing folks that we can be quite nice when gently <laughs> encouraged. But also, I noticed um, really big right now is Bridgerton. So uh, the British folks are either humping or killing each other, one of the two. Um, so I'm from the UK. Take that wherever you want to mean. Uh, that's the first one. Do I have a formal education in what I do? Yes, I have managed to acquire three degrees. Uh, one was an undergrad CS degree. I then did an undergrad English degree and then a postgrad classics degree. And all three have been useful, you know, learning to code and work with computers and similar, learning to write about them. And the last one actually made a lot of money in the app world. I made an app about classics and that's done very well for myself. So uh, Ah, interesting. Classics as in like classic literature? Uh, it's also well, classical studies, a particular field, and it basically means the Romans and the Greeks. Ah, okay. okay. Uh, and to a lesser extent, some other civilizations around the time, you know, the Phoenicians and the Cretans and the Egyptians and, and similar. But but yeah, it's mostly the Latin uh, and the Greek languages and the cultures and histories. And, uh, you know, my most successful app ever, the most one, maybe the most money was an app for Latin students. Wow. That's How about that? Paid, paid for my mortgage for the last 10 years now, multiple times over, um, because university universities and lots of schools around the world teach Latin and they just buy it for their students. Every year they buy 100, 200 at a time for all their students in the year. And oh, wow. uh, it, yeah, they choose my app because it's, it's, it's number one app in a very, very, very small space. 
Uh, that was question two. And the last one was how to get to where I am. Yeah, the much that's, bigger that's quite, one. <laughs> that's a big one. That's a huge question. Surely that's, that's a lot of time. Well, it all started a, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> there it is. <laughs> uh, I did a CS degree. I, I, I did CS beforehand as one of those terribly boring kids who uh, got into coding at a young age and became increasingly laser focused on coding and computers and coding with computers and da, 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 da. And I kind of forgot the rest of the world existed. I got more into software, software, software. I went to uh, university for it and graduated with my degree, went straight into a coding job. And that, it was it was great fun, right? I had a lot of fun doing CS. Um, but then I, I uh, was doing web development for a uh, sort of offshoot of a, of a real estate company. So real estate in the UK, obviously, is, you know, building houses and similar. But this company here, they built shopping malls, uh, which, of course, are very, very, very big, multi-billion pound projects. And to build malls, they constructed huge models of the malls, physical models you could walk around to scale. And these, you know, you've got to imagine room-sized models of malls. Okay, so, like, the whole, the whole mall was the size of a single room. That, that's the type of scale we're talking about? Right, exactly. It was a okay. huge, huge multi-story models, including wow. car parks and everything. So you, could, you could see, you know, a, a store might be the size of you know, a small store, size of a credit card, for example. Then bigger stores would be, you know, big, big things on the model. Yeah. And they were, they were very, very expensive to make, as you might imagine. <laughs> yeah, I would guess. A small change, you've got to change the model. So this company funded an offshoot startup to basically produce 3D tools to make ah. these things in 3DS Max. So you could design them quickly and then walk around them in a in a virtual way. And I joined this company in London to do uh, their web stuff for them. And I started writing at the same time for a magazine. Uh, a Linux magazine of all things about PHP of all things times two because uh, <laughs> they hadn't got a PHP tutorial. This was 20, uh, 2003, so it was extremely big at the time. I thought, yeah, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a try. And so I wrote for them. They liked it. They printed it. They asked for more. I wrote a whole series of things for them and then actually joined them full-time. I left London, left CS, left coding full-time, became a full-time journalist uh, in my current town, a town called Bath in the southwest of England, uh, for this company. And I spent a long time, like eight years, as a magazine journalist, talking about computers, traveling the world, doing interviews with various famous folks, having a lot of fun. I mean, it was a great job. It was a really, really very, very easy job. Lots and lots of fun and lots and lots of travel. I imagine easy if you're passionate about the topics that you're kind of getting to spend all of your time uh, diving into and talking to people about. But that that's the magic. And it's the same with Star Wars, to be fair. You know, <laughs> um, we, the, the whole company is based around the idea of hobbies, that everyone has a hobby and hobbies are incredibly fractal things. The closer you look, the more they're complex they are and look even more close and more and more complex. And so the company had magazines on, you know, computers and computer games I had magazines like PC Gamer was one of the titles owned by the company. Uh, we had titles for guitars. If you like guitars, learn to play guitars or practice guitar, got one of the magazines for you or drumming or mountain biking or cross-stitching or whatever you wanted to. Uh, and it was great because if you were passionate about anything in your spare time, they'd have a magazine probably for you. It wasn't quite that niche. It wasn't like model train collecting or anything, but um, all the all the big hitter hobbies they were interested in, including, you know, uh, a movie magazine. They had one just of movie fans who wanted to read about movies and all that kind of jazz. So I worked for them doing uh, Linux, a Linux magazine. And it, again, it was, it was great fun. You know, I got to meet 
everyone I wanted to meet. You know, the, the, uh, Larry Wall, who 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 made Pearl, or uh, Guido Van Rossum um, from uh, Python, or um, Rasmus Lerdor from PHP itself, or whatever. I traveled the world meeting these folks, interviewing them, and hanging out with them, and asking them questions, and becoming friends with them. And it was a really, really great job. Yeah, that sounds awesome. <laughs> but you got to imagine every month, you're faced with 128 page, 132 pages that are completely blank. How are you going to fill them up? What's interesting right now? And you get to decide what's interesting. So you're trying to read the pulse of the community a lot and get a sense of where it's going and what's interesting and what's new and what might be interesting and try and provide a bit of guidance, a bit of feedback and, and constantly keep on top of things. So it was a lot of fun. How, how did you do that? Like how was it like forums or I don't know what time period we're talking about here. So you've got to keep in mind it was, it was, it was, yeah. So 2003, 2011 okay. or so, I forget what it was, 10 maybe. Um, yeah. So you, you, you are on forums, you're looking at what people are saying, you're getting emails on, or actually post a lot of the time from readers mm. saying, here's what I'm working on, here's what's interesting. You're watching the, it was then SourceForge at the time, yeah. very closely seeing what's changing, what's happening. Uh, there was no GitHub, sadly, at the time. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you're, you're, you're doing your best to uh, keep on top of a very, very wide area and even even you know linux is a niche within a niche right but it's still a huge huge area right and helpfully you 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 build contacts and actually some of those i still hang out with today you know some of my friends i met back then i still uh talk to and hang out with today which is just great fun um but yeah so you 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 get to decide the tone and direction of of a large part of the community and that was uh very very exciting to do and uh i enjoyed it very much and honestly the best bit was when you finish a magazine for the month you're done you can't do anything else. There's, there's nothing that happens until next month. You've got to just chill out. So we'd just go to the pub for a couple of days and talk about, <laughs> like, why do they have tires in Frontier Elite 2? Why do the spaceships have tires when they land? It makes no sense. What's going on here? We'd pass days of our lives discussing minutiae of Amiga history or similar because we could. Yeah, I guess that's the difference from, like, software where the release is sort of the beginning point uh, a lot of times it feels like right, because exactly. your next however long is going to be dealing with feedback, rushing to get new features out, yada yada, but yeah. uh, especially a print magazine, like there's no, you know, corrections or uh, Correct. It's gone. making updates. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's out there. <laughs> but also the magic is, you know, that, you know, you're, you're sitting there trying to get the cover exactly right or your page exactly right. And if they, if they involve all sorts of ugly hacks, no one cares. Yeah. So if it looks if it looks right on the page, it's right. <laughs> it doesn't matter how you got there. It looks right. It is right. Out the door it goes. And uh, it, it went wrong once. Uh, we were. Mm, I've been editor of the magazine. I was running the magazine this now time by about eighteen months. And uh, our production editor had gone on vacation. So production is responsible for getting raw text in, correcting the raw text. Uh, giving it to Art, who lays it out, back to production, who then make it fit, make it work, you know, correcting all the little small things, and handing it off to me to sign off and go to print. And our production editor had gone on vacation and left a temporary person in their place who sadly didn't, didn't understand the systems. And so we ended up sending a lot of wrong pages to press, um, which is not great. No. <laughs> but helpfully, they were wrong insofar as they were slightly old. So they were uh, uh, like version five rather than version seven or version six. Ah, uh, So like typos and stuff, but not... Uh... Typos galore. And, <laughs> and uh, one of them was, you know, we have this thing in, in, in print and actually online, we have a, a page title, here's your big headline. Below that is a subheadline or strap line where you sort of give them a 
a taster of what's in here. In this article, learn about yada, yada, yada. And the worst one was it had a strap line saying two lines of nonsense here repeated five <laughs> times. Because <laughs> it, 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 awesome. it's not nonsense, but it's not particularly valuable. So it's just two lines of nonsense here. It wasn't caught, so it went out. And, you know, I turned it into a game. I said to readers, you know, whoops, um, wrong page went to press. Sorry about that. Post reply to this blog post and the first person to spot each typo once will get a free book. Ah, that's awesome. We had stacks of books. We get mailed all the time to review for the magazine. So we just sent them out. Hey, you get win a book, you win a book, win a book. And people loved it because, you know, we make mistakes. We're a team too. We're doing our best and things go wrong sometimes. So you adapt, you get over it and you have some fun with it. That's great. <laughs> that's. Were you like horrified when you realized or did you pretty quickly kind of be like, well, somebody made a mistake, <laughs> especially since it wasn't you? It, 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 it ultimately is me. You know, as editor oh, of the magazine, it, it, is, it is me. You know, you, you get on with it. And, and and honestly, there are many, many worse mistakes out there. And but more than once, other magazines, fortunately never us, other magazines went out with the wrong barcode on. And that's a proper fatal error. That's when they will get all the magazines back and pulp them and destroy them <laughs> and then reissue, you know, 50,000 magazines to get them out there. Yeah, because you can't check anybody out, right? Like correct them correctly. Yeah, that would be rough. They'll get the, they'll get the wrong <laughs> price again and again and again. So they had to pulp, you know, lots of magazines and throw them away, which is, which is grim. So yeah, we never had that. <laughs> um, it could have been a lot worse. Makes me think of uh, when movie trailers get released with uh, like temp audio. I don't know if you've ever seen like, uh, I think there was a Tom Cruise movie. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it's literally just the sound of him screaming. That's the only sound that made it in the temp audio. <laughs> there's no music. Nice. There's no sound effects. It's just him endlessly screaming in this uh, in this trailer. And it's it's amazing. <laughs> but I feel horrible for whoever let that through. I'd watch that film. That sounds good. <laughs> I, I've certainly seen that they do a lot of um, like temporary music. There's, they'll borrow music from other, other well-known movies and put it in there. They're, you know, they're own movies. They're not ripping it off from the internet, but they're taking temporary soundtracks because the real world isn't done yet and they'll put right. that out. Yeah. So, yeah. Hacks galore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's one of the fun things about, uh, I, I was going to say physical, but I guess movies aren't necessarily physical, but uh, a distribution of your creation that is uh, final is, yeah, you can have the most hacky scaffolding around the thing but as long as the final thing is okay it's good uh you can't quite get away with that with software <laughs> well i um i did see recently um jordan singer posted a um a mock-up of a cd or dvd with a slack logo on oh yeah yeah <laughs> and he was like what because that's what it would have been right install slack and you, you live with that version for six months 12 months or longer uh, and of course we don't do it anymore we're used to the idea of you know just ship something that vaguely works and fix it in post it'll be fine yep <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a definitely a different world yeah and i i, I obviously prefer being able to put updates out freely it's much much nicer <laughs> yeah. you know swift ui wouldn't work terribly well in print let's face it because it's changing that often so after the magazine how did you did you get back into development or did you go straight into yeah. hacking with yeah, swift? Did, okay yeah. so so all this time you know when you start coding you you get this addiction to coding you never really lose it right you always want to hack on stuff and build with stuff and try stuff and all this time i was coding for myself in my spare time. So I was doing a lot of uh, PHP, then did uh, C++, then did, let me think, follow my numbers. Python was next, I think. Uh, I did a lot of um, Windows Mobile, like the original Windows Mobile, <laughs> like Windows Mobile 5 or so, and 6, um, that was C Sharp. Was this just for fun for yourself? Yeah, yeah, totally just for fun. You know, because anything, 
that stayed still long enough I could kind of hack on. I want to hack on. So I I, I bought a, a you know Windows mobile phone back when that was a thing and you could run C Sharp 2 on there. So I built this huge game for Windows Mobile and some apps I wanted to play just for me. Uh, I built stuff for Xbox 360. That was a lot of fun as well. I even made um, Android stuff later on too. So anything that stays, stays long enough I want to break and fiddle with and whatever. Uh, and Obviously, when iOS came out, I looked at it immediately. You know, I, I applied for the initial uh, release of the SDK, uh, and it wasn't one of the first by a long way, but when I finally got it, um, it was still, you know, early in the release days. I was horrified <laughs> because uh, A, Objective-C terrified me at the time. I was like, what the <laughs> yeah. heck is going here? Table view, table view, table view. What's going on? Um, that was weird. But also, things... It just seemed a bit backwards to begin with. For example, I remember like the earliest thing they, they sort of showed off was um, the picture of planet Earth in the background and then a glass button for a core button in, in, in the middle. And, you know, when I saw the code, I'm like, wow, the glass button is a picture of a glass button. They're not drawing that. It's just it's literally rendering an image. That just seems really lazy. Why do you want to do this kind of backwards ancient kind of coding with this weird language no one else uses? So I backed away from it. I missed out all of iPhone OS 2. But iPhone OS 3, I started making apps for. So I, I, I ported my big game from Xbox to uh, iPhone. I made other apps for um, using UIKit, using my bizarre hack. What brought you back in? Because it's, it's there. I wanted to try it. I kept, <laughs> I kept throwing myself at it until it worked. I remember I was on the train to uh, see my grandmother, who lived about four hours away by train. And I thought, on this train journey, I will figure this out. I will not get off this train till it's done. And unfortunately, I didn't end up in Scotland somewhere. I got to go off at the right point because I, I figured it out. But, you know, there was no internet the entire way. This was, you know, 2010, oh, yeah. I guess, or something. Um, so, no, I have any internet on a, on, a, on a train at the time. So, it just me figuring out at the time uh Zibs, <laughs> no storyboards yet. Uh, trying to figure out, you know, what first responder was, why this thing's not broken now. Da, da, da. And I cracked it. And my code from back then is, of course, a disaster. It's basically on fire. But I got into it and I figured it out. And I ended up making a massive collection of apps, like again and again and again. It was a challenge for me. How many apps can I produce every week? Three, four, five, six, seven in a week. Just keep on throwing them out, learning, 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 throw everything I could possibly do at it. And then the company I worked for uh, realized I could do this and started asking me to help them out building apps for clients. So I made this uh, a, a, a store kind of marketing app for a big biking company called Colnago. I made an app for them to show off their latest bikes the cycles i made an app for um for fender i made an app for alice cooper wow um because they could sell it onto the through the agency to well that's my dog's barking sorry <laughs> so onto the whoever, whoever right but it, i i made a lot of apps in a very short space of time and the company eventually said okay you know we're gonna do this thing this was ipad os uh, ipad ios sorry ios 4 um, we're going to have this thing called Project 10. We're going to build 10 apps back-to-back -back, um, in time for Christmas, of which nine were given to me to build uh, and, and work <laughs> on. And I, I, I shipped them all, plus my own personal apps. And it was it was a great success. It worked well. It gave us this experience very, very quickly in getting apps out there. And that was great. So what was, whenever you were like teaching yourself, what was your primary, like, learning material was it apple's documentation were you buying books this feels relevant to what you eventually <laughs> ended up doing so i wasn't buying books um you know I, I used to love buying coding books when i was at uh 
sort of post-grad university. I had my first paycheck, right? I was like, I'd go to the bookstore almost every lunchtime and browse through the books, particularly around paycheck time. I still have some of the ones I bought, actually. The particular series I really enjoyed buying. It's like a treat for myself, this games programming series that they'd have. And I'd buy one like once a month because it's expensive, but I got it. So it wasn't books, sadly. It was mostly Apple's uh, documentation, okay. occasionally the sample code and sometimes WWDC stuff. But yeah, it was mostly their documentation. Uh, and it was, you know, trial and error. Just try things out until it worked, until I liked it. Uh, and it hit the big time, really, when um, the company said, listen, this is getting silly. We're making a lot of apps now, trying things out. This is a growing area. We need to try and make a team out of this, an actual full-time coding team for app development. And... Um, at this time, obviously, I was the only person in the company with any vague interest in making that happen. Out of, you know, 1,200 people, there was one iOS developer, which was me. And so they appointed me as uh, on, onto the team. And I founded a team around that. And we ended up making a uh, massive, ridiculous framework, huge platform um, for building magazines for iOS. Okay. And the company backed this up with a... Um, a new launch. It launched a magazine about iPads and iPhones, and it was for iPads and iPhones. And the brilliant thing we did was we made it on iPads and iPhones. Like the software that my team and I programmed um, was a visual magazine designer that ran on iPads. Ah. So you could, you could you could place pictures, you could integrate native things like actual table views we placed on there, you could bring in data, you could add smooth animations, you could do motion effects with tilt and so forth uh, using the accelerometer. And they launched a magazine called Tap, Tap Magazine. And uh, it was it was honestly ri ridiculous. The company actually got a patent for some of the things we did because it was so unusual for magazines to be able to do these kinds of things. It had, you know, like native flip effects for the cover. Flip it over to see what's inside the magazine. And it just looked fantastic. And it gave the team the option to do these things. They could make, you know, scratch to reveal the answer or tip this way to reveal this, whatever. And it gave them the power of building all the sort of native iOS effects they wanted. Like, you know, rearrangeable table views, for example. That's a trivial thing for coders to do, but half the designers to do right. were now possible to do. And they shipped that, that whole magazine powered by us. And then the big thing happened, which was um, iOS 5 with Newstand. Uh, and Newstand, of course, was the ill-fated attempt at getting magazine subscriptions through the App Store. And our platform powered the entire launch for the company and we ended up dominating the app store on day one like worldwide we were 75 percent of the titles oh, wow. available it was just m massive because you could quickly uh we were ready we were yeah we're totally ready and some you know some titles there like mac life did extremely well and other ones we, we thought what's going to happen here got no idea would suddenly do randomly well in south korea new markets we hadn't even vaguely <laughs> approached were able to find us and i remember we were there on the sort of launch week saying well that, that was quite easy actually we managed to pull this off yeah there were a few late night calls to cupertino when things weren't working quite correctly but we pulled it off we did it and let's just check the support inbox. Let's see what's going on. Oh, there's it's only 10 emails from, we'd made, you know, I think half a million dollars on, on the first sort of 24, 48 hours. Um, I don't know, 10 emails. And then someone said, oh, wait a minute. 
that's page one. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there were hundreds of pages. You could scroll through and there were emails galore saying, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working, it's not working. Da, 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 da. This was back in the very, very early days of subscriptions when Apple hadn't put in place all ah. the very careful wording around renewing and cancellation and restoring purchases and similar. So and it was we training were, customers for the first time. Uh, yeah, They had no correct. experience with it. Yeah. And some were genuinely angry. Like, <laughs> I have paid 500 bucks for my iPad. Why do I have to pay for your magazine? That was the honest to God <laughs> emails we're getting. Uh, they were really angry. So, um, the, the product we launched was just vast. It was a huge, huge thing for building very, very interactive, very advanced magazines with built on iPad for iPad, optimized for iPad. And like I say, we licensed it galore it was licensed by uh pepper pig my kids loved that one. Oh wow licensed by ubs the big swift uh, uh swiss bank playstation used it fender used it it was very very popular uh and made uh, last count so in 25 million dollars plus just for this fairly small company because think about it ma magazines normally aren't a particularly high profit margin business right you might make five percent or ten percent your profit margin suddenly it's like 90 percent we're making free money so the company had gone from like losing four hundred thousand bucks to making 10 million bucks you know like what happened here it was a ridiculous turnaround and the original the original newsstand concept was like your magazines will be apps right like that's sort of yes. changed since then but that perfectly fits into what you what you had already built i guess yeah we'd, we'd plan for it we'd work towards it for a while and uh, we were very very ready for it the platform was just we were pushing it extremely hard and we carried on pushing it for years afterwards adding more and more things because you know once the initial buzz of wow this is amazing new stuff we got into the you know churn of readers you know who wants to carry on subscribing and it's interesting seeing like mac life used to be a really really big us mac magazine and they had uh it was uh i don't know the exact pricing but i think it was like a a, a dollar a month you could subscribe for through the app to subscribe or uh i think it was five dollars for a year and they made it so ridiculously cheap uh and as a result you could either buy a magazine for five or six bucks, like buy a one-off magazine, or subscribe for a dollar and get that magazine plus next one plus next one da, 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 for six bucks. So they everyone chose to subscribe. So they ended up with like ninety thousand subscribers in a very short space of time, like eighteen months. They had ninety thousand subscribers through the App Store, which is ninety thousand dollars a month, which is you know good money for a a magazine, quite frankly. So. It was huge. It was really unexpectedly massive. And we ended up with a team of, I think, 23, 24, maybe even 25 people managing uh, the whole delivery of this uh, application. Wow. So then what kind of came next then, I guess, for you? Well, ultimately, nothing lasts forever, right? Uh, and uh, I think the company's attempt to license this was never going to work. You know, UBS was a great client. They were so nice. They were so friendly, so helpful, and paid a lot of money for the right to use software, as did the other companies. But ultimately, the problem the company was facing was uh, it's hard to succeed as a digital magazine. Like, we, you know, so Jamie Oliver, uh, a, a British chef, um, launched a digital magazine using our platform, which is great. It's a beautiful, beautiful magazine. Really did a great job of integrating all these native iOS features, yada, yada, yada. But ultimately, he might sell 3,000 copies that month. Yeah. And that's not enough to get by on. Right. So a lot to of make our, up for uh, that investment uh, in making a beautiful, exactly. you know, interactive. Yeah. Exactly. And so they start going to PDFs. Uh, you know, they might add a few 
bits of jingle to the PDF, bit of spritzing around here and there, but it's still a PDF. It's not very exciting. And so that would cause sales to go down further. People were less happy with the magazine. Like the, J- the Jamie Oliver application, you would go through, search by ingredients, what you had versus what they were able to show you, and they'd find the recipes for you and add it to a shopping list directly inside the application. Here are the things, oh, wow. add it in, go and buy these things in the dairy aisle, whatever, right? It was brilliant. It, was, it felt native, but also felt like a magazine experience at the same time. And as it went to PDF, people lost interest. And so the sales wouldn't, weren't as big. The licensing effort, I think, was just doomed to fail. We're a magazine company, not a software licensing company. Our competitors didn't want anything to do with our software. They wanted to build their own software because, of course, it was scary licensing a competitor's software. Right. And so it was never going to last, right? It was a, it was brilliant fun. We made a, a silly amount of money in a, a short space of time, but ultimately it, was, it had to draw a line somewhere. And I think now, they have a coding team of maybe one, <laughs> maybe zero. Just supporting their own stuff. Yeah, because yeah. It, it, it's at this point, you know, it's it's more economical to be somewhere else, you know, to, to use uh, the increasingly invasive um, Google adverts or um, using Apple News Plus or similar, any kind of aggregation service that takes the cost away from you and lets you surf along on PDFs, basically. Right. So make the big money obviously dividend that out to your shareholders and then when it comes to the next tranche of money switch to something cheaper that's what happened so did you were you did you stick with them for a while after that or were you kind of getting itchy to try something new i did yeah i I was there oh good grief 2016 2015 oh wow okay i actually left left the company you know i joined 2003 three must have been 2015 then perhaps anyway so I, I i was there for about 12 years is the answer of which eight was as a journalist and then the last four of slash five was as a running the software team and did that lead right into hacking with swift then um i wrote hacking with swift um early if i was still at the company while i was still writing it's 2014 okay. when i wrote the year swift launched i started writing hacking with swift uh, I was still at the company, and they didn't mind. They couldn't care less. They went into books. Books wasn't their area, so that's fine. Was hack? Did it start as a book? Yeah, it was started as a book. Yeah, the original Hacking with Swift book. Okay, so the first Hacking with Swift was was a book you wrote whenever Swift first came out. Yeah, so Swift launched 2014, if I remember correctly. Um, I started writing. I, I got the domain November 2014, so I started writing it at the site before in October, September time, and it was ready uh, end of December, and uh, I launched it January the first, 2015 as a book you could buy the book and nothing else that was it uh, and it wasn't a great success that's for sure but it wasn't designed to be too fair I, I had a full-time job i was paid very well to do what i was doing it was a, a, a side thing and i just basically ignored it i forgot all about it i didn't even think about it for a long long time had you written other books before i had done yeah so i wrote an o'reilly book um, practical php i'd written books on linux okay um, so this is sort of one of your one of your many hobbies and hacking with swift was just hey, this new Swift thing's coming out. It's really exciting. I'm going to write a book, which is a thing that you've done a bunch of times. Exactly, yeah. So I'd, 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 I'd written uh, an app for Swift launch day, which is iOS 8. Crack, it's a while ago now. Yeah. <laughs> it's iOS 8 at a time. Um, and uh, I wrote a Safari extension called View Source, which you can tell what it does right in the name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it does what it says on the 10. Yeah, you couldn't do it. So I, I nabbed the name View Source, made the View Source app, has done very well for itself, all by itself, which is, which is great. And that's still there in Swift 1, actually. Oh, <laughs> it wow. Hasn't moved it. I haven't touched it at all. Uh, I'd forgotten it existed until someone mentioned it recently. They, they've been using it for shortcuts, which is brilliant. Very well done them. But that was news to me. 
Um, so yeah, I, I wrote this book just for fun and got out there and I learned a lot along the way about, you know, iOS and Swift and more and then did nothing with it. Sort of left it there to kind of rot. Interesting. So, so what, I mean, I'm struggling to link uh, these two things together then. How did ha- the Hacking with Swift website come about? Well, I had the, you know, the .com, but the actual uh, content, I think... Uh, let me see. Uh, my years are fuzzy. I probably have to sit and write this down once, otherwise I'll, I'll contradict <laughs> myself. The nice back thing since, about uh, a podcast <laughs> is you at least get some sort of a document. I can have a go, but I'll get it wrong. I'm sure. <laughs> um, it was there, 2015. It was going nowhere. It was going nowhere. I mean, some, some folks bought it, but not many folks bought it because no one knew who I was. No one cared who I was. Um, and so I ended up making the book, the downloadable book, free. So you could download the whole thing for free if you wanted to, rather than paying for it, just get it for free. It's fine. And then I want to say 2016, I put it online for free. I had to read online for free. Okay. <sighs> it gets a bit hazy around then because at some point I, when I left the company, I was sort of thinking, okay, I, I, I've left my, you know, very well paying uh, software development job. I've got to look for an actual income here. Um, the company I worked for, I was, I was at this point, I was a director of the company. And so I had a six month notice period uh, and they were very generous. I said, listen, you know, obviously we don't want any competition here. Just go away. Sit at home for six <laughs> months, do whatever, do whatever you want to, gardening leave, just do what you like, go away. Uh, and so I thought, okay, I've got six months to kind of prove this is going to work. Is this possible? And so uh, by this point, yeah, I think I can get, get dates roughly out of my head. Uh, the site was definitely up and running. All the stuff was free online to read. Uh, online on web pages plus the book was free to download and my first choice was i'm gonna make the book not free to download uh so you can come to the site and read it free if you want to support me buy the book and that was the first change i made there's like you know I, so you had made like a, a sort of web version of the book contents is that what the yeah. site was at that point okay the the, the whole at this, at this point for sure yes definitely the whole thing was able to read online the whole book every chapter was able to read online Plus, you could download the book, the PDF version, EPUB, whatever, from Gumroad for free. Okay. And I made this choice. Listen, get it on live if you want to. That's fine. But if you want to support my work, buy the book. Uh, and that was my first, like, that was my plan A in life. I could, you know, commute to London, which is an hour and 45 minutes a day by train there and back. So, you know, three and a bit hours of, of, of travel every day. I could move house somewhere cheaper. I could get a job in Bristol or in a, a nearby city, you know, doing software development or whatever. Um, but my plan A was, can I make this book thing work? Okay. And plan B was, you know, should I make more money from apps? Because I was still making very good money from apps at this point, um, my personal apps. Um, but planning was books. So I, I, I made the, the book not free and wrote a second book called Pro Swift. Uh, and that's been very popular. And that convinced me, wow, that I could, I could do this full time. And it's kind of grown since then, really. Okay. So it started out as a series of books. Mm-hmm. And then at some point you started writing articles, right? I mean, what, like what I think of, you know, me coming in in 20, 19 yeah 2019 was when i like entered the ios space literally one of the first things (laughs) i found was hacking with swift is where you go to figure things out because if you google something you're going to come across a hacking with swift article that's going to explain yada yada so where did where did that where did it go from like writing these you know big books with narratives Mm -hmm. and whatever to writing these more shorter form articles. So the articles so one of the mistakes i've made (laughs) one of the many mistakes i've made (laughs) is that the site's disorganized because I kind of 
never planned it this way, right? There's no grand plan here. This is me having a lot of fun exploring, experimenting, and writing up what I find. And I wrote the books as a way to uh, teach iOS from start to finish, you know, with with Swift as well. But in a a, a, a a grand plan, I wrote I wrote the plan of for the book ahead of time. It's like one cohesive book, right? And so you start in project one. I know no Swift. Then learn some Swift, make an app. Project two, learn some more Swift, make a different app. And by the end of it, you've learned a wide variety of Swift, plus learned how to use you know collection views, table views, some sprite kits, some core graphics, some core motion. Uh, right. So you've you've learned a variety of things across the projects, but to learn that way requires a sequential approach. Start project one, chapter one, work your way through to project thirty, chapter thirty, like like, like that, all the way through. And that was great for a book, but it wasn't great for folks who had a quick answer request. I, I, how this one thing, how do I do it? And I'd answer that question. How do you do core motion? But I'd answered it in the middle of project 15 or something, right? Right. It'd be like, uh, you know, here we're making a ball where you've got to tilt your ball around the maze and land it in the hole to win the game. And here in the middle of the project, let's make it do core motion. And so it was all there, but it was done in such a way that it made it very, very hard to get to unless you were actively following the projects. And so I went through the entire book and said, okay, what have I actually covered here? Pulled out a list of maybe 300 things that were in there, techniques along the way. And I just pulled out that one sample and made that into what I ended up calling the Swift knowledge base. Ah. So here's a one thing. How do I do, you know, table view delegates or did select whatever, did it, pull out from the projects. You haven't got to follow the project anymore. You can find this one page and made that a standalone thing. And in many places, the source code's exactly the same. I've had a different description around it, make it much more to the point so it's not waffle anymore. It's like, here's your answer, boom, done. Right, so you don't need the context of the previous chapters or whatever. Exactly, exactly. It's straight to the point and and right into with the code. And that was obviously a, a huge step forward for me because I hadn't even considered teaching folks that way but it was popular because folks kind of go on google and go i'm stuck with this thing and paste the error into google and yep. see what comes up <laughs> and hopefully it's 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 one of my articles because that's what i do <laughs> you know when i hit a problem i solve it and then write about it that's what how i have these ideas i don't invent problems for myself and then write about them i build the app go hmm, this doesn't work right and then solve it and then write up my solution uh, and so i'm just relying on folks doing exactly the same thing hitting exactly the same problems as me and it it seems to work it's fascinating that you like the books came first and sort of you use those to drive the articles though i would have i wouldn't have thought that it makes sense for why hacking with swift seems a little bit uh more comprehensive i guess that's maybe not the right word but it's like it doesn't feel like like what you were just saying is people like to write articles you know i run into a problem uh after I solve it, I'll write up a blog post about it on my site. And that leads to lots of really good blog posts by lots of people. But I think there's a difference. There's things that maybe don't seem as exciting that that process wouldn't naturally generate where like fundamentals, I guess, where if you're driving it from your book, you, you do go through all those fundamentals because, you know, you're trying to build up sort of this walk people through this process of learning a thing. And so I wonder if that that actually breeds a different... Uh, a different type of article um, on your site than what maybe you get on other places. Uh, very possibly. It, it is, you know, undeniably, literally, you can see the code is the same. 
the the example articles there in the in the knowledge base are literally taken from real projects. I haven't just made up a problem and here's how I solved it. This is a problem I hit in a real project. Here's how it's solved. And that always adds value. This is not foo bar baz. This is a real right. thing, a yeah. real problem, real solutions. You know, it, it's, it works with the corner cases and so forth. There it is. And it means you can trust it. You know, I'm not just inventing problems. These are, these are real problems and real solutions too. Um, of course, the real challenge then was to, uh, keep it up to date <laughs> as, as Swift <laughs> evolves, as Swift changes, you know, and iOS and UI kit changes, keeping that evolving. And that's been uh, challenging to put the least. That by far, that is one of the most surprising things whenever I came into the iOS world was one Apple's documentation was uh, not quite as up to snuff as some of the other uh, platforms that I've worked on, but I was blown away by hacking with Swift um, and some of the other uh, writers, how you guys like actually update your articles with new Swift versions. Like it'll usually say up at the top, you know, this has been updated with Swift five or Swift, you know, 4.5 or whatever. And that kind of blows my mind. I can't even comprehend. Like, how do you keep up with that? Do you have like a system every time a new version of Swift drops? It, it is a lot of work. Um, and you're right. The Apple uh, documentation isn't optimal. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Trying to think of a nice way to say it. <laughs> yeah. Um, just actually just today, um, Peter Steinberg was tweeting about you know, a, a quirk in um, Swift UI. Uh, which it, 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 it likes making your icons blue. Yeah. Uh, because it's, it's making them tappable. And he found the solution, used rendering mode original after going through Google. And, um, someone said, Oh, that, that's, that's interesting. Was this documented in, in official documentation? And, um, Steinberger said, Oh, official docs, you mean two straws? Yes. He's got an article about this, <laughs> <laughs> which is very, very flattering. Um, because I, I I often do have documentation for things that Apple have not documented, particularly SwiftUI in the early days, it was it was it was very one sided there. I, I do a system is the answer, and I I um use Git extensively is the answer. So all my work, every project, every word, every uh, sample code is in a, a monorepo, my Swift GitHub monorepo, and uh, I have written a, written a script that basically builds uh, a single project out of about 90% of the knowledge base and then builds it. Oh, wow. And I'll get warnings galore, deprecation, whatever, out of that. It's not perfect because, you know, deprecation is one kind of thing I want to catch, but also new techniques. Like, you know, deprecation wouldn't catch me using Swifty JSON rather than Codable, for example. Right. Or wouldn't say, here you could use uh, the result type rather than something else. So, you know, making sure the code is modern is harder to catch. But, you know, deprecation, that's actually fairly straightforward thanks to Xcode. Well, I mean, honestly, though, even just uh, that the code compiles is a uh, upgrade from Stack Overflow or what I was used <laughs> to in uh, <laughs> in other framework uh, like blog spheres. That's that is fascinating. I I would have never guessed that, but that just like seems obvious now that you say it. I think because Stack Overflow, it's it's hostile for start. But let's park that temporarily. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the answer is often the fifth thing down. Yes, the correct modern answer, and it's not even marked as the correct answer. You've got to kind of read them all and decide for yourself which one is correct. I'm kind of doing that job for you. I've said I've gone through this problem. Here's my solution. I've checked it, tested it. I've had feedback from other people. This is the best solution I've found so far. And you know, of course, there could be even better ones hidden away somewhere else. But I've done my best to be at least updated and modern and and, and working and good. And that is more than a lot of uh, Stack Overflow. Also, I still find 
you know, oh, here's the answer. And it's from eight years ago in Objective-C. And that's, that's not even yeah. fractionally <laughs> helpful. And with Swift particularly, you know, that was true in Swift 2. Great. What's it in Swift 3 or Swift 4 or Swift 5 or Swift 5.4 due out, you know, in a couple of months? It's always changing, always evolving. And it makes it hard to trust sites like Stack Overflow. Is that still relevant? You just don't know anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, often you can find something that works or at least you can sort of convinced to work uh, with a little <laughs> massaging, but uh, you never really feel confident that it's correct, uh, even if it works, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I remember seeing um, someone making a Python library, I think it was, that would import the best answer from Stack Overflow as, as a way of solving your problem. It's, it's obviously <laughs> a, massive, a massive hack, but you know, you wanted to uh, roll a dice, for example, whatever it happened to be, you just go import dice from Stack Overflow and it would search that plus Python and then pull the correct answer, first right answer from there into your code. Oh my goodness. Um, <laughs> and that might work with Python where there's a, a sort of longer tail of support for the language, but Swift is very, very fast moving. Even like recently with, uh, you know, Swift 5.1, that wasn't that long ago. That was just last year. Oh, sorry, 2019 now. Um, and that was, you know, property wrappers plus DSL plus whatever. It was yeah. a huge, huge release. Or um, you had, of course, um, Swift 5.2 where they added, oh, what's 5.2? What's 5.2? I can't remember now. It was, it was a lot of stuff, right? Oh, it was, all right, key path expression as functions, right? It was it was huge. Uh, again, big changes. Um, default arguments for subscripts, for example, was in five two. That's when they proved the diagnostics. That's when Holly um, and her team landed the you know actual working error messages, for example, <laughs> landed in in five two, and, and even five three was big. You had the multi-pattern catch clauses. You had multiple trading closures for Swift UI, basically. Yeah. Um, they added comparable for enums and more. So that they keep on improving the language and 5.4 is going to be a huge release and of course async await just landed in in in, in uh, the main branch of swift so oh did it yeah i didn't see it that did. it did it oh. did yeah they're pushing that very quickly async awaits there now with an uh, experimental uh concurrency flag beautiful used to enable it but it's there as is um i believe async sequence as well so you can do asynchronous map now Interesting, man. Yeah, coming from C sharp, mm. uh, losing async await was one of the one of the most brutal things. <laughs> yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah. So it's interesting because async await they've got, they've got a little chart diagram of uh, the language and the change they want to make as part of concurrency. And async await is like at the head of this tree, but there's multiple branches coming off it and they're kind of interlinked a little bit. So reading the proposal is almost asynchronous itself. You're sort of <laughs> read it, read a bit, then pause, then read something it's else, and then meta. pause there, read a third thing. Yeah, yeah, But the async await, I, I, it's going to be the most used, but it's not the biggest change they're going to make. There are other massive changes they're making as part of the concurrency push. Um, the actor model, for example, is huge, huge, yeah. huge set of changes. And that is not in C sharp. That's in, you know, Elixir. I was about to say, I don't, I, I keep reading blog posts explaining it and uh, I definitely don't have my head wrapped around it yet. Yeah, it's going to take some time. And that'll be, that'll be a while till it lands. And that's, it's so big, they're currently planning to do it in two phases. Oh, interesting. You know, they want phase one, the small set, and then phase two, the source breaking changes, basically, to make it really, really work. So it's going to be huge. And that takes commitment to maintain from a, from a writing perspective to go back and update old articles you know there is no financial incentive for me to do that by no folks rely on it they, they trust when they come to my site this code will work it will be up to date and so i go back as often as i can and just quietly fix update tweak improve articles so you kind of mentioned it there and that was actually one of my next questions is 
how i mean ultimately hacking with swift is your business it's your livelihood so it is what is your primary primary way of supporting it so i don't run ads on the site I don't even have Google Analytics on the site. There are no trackers at all on the site because, you know, folks should better come and, you know, learn Swift in privacy, quite frankly. Which feels pretty rare for uh, written web in 2021. Maybe, yeah. I, I, I think, and it's hard to say, of course, I think the site is the most like privacy open, transparent one in the entire community, um, which is great. Uh, I'm, you know, proud of that. But... In terms of making money, we do have some site sponsorship. Like you can place your image and some text on there. There's no tracking for that, obviously. But um, you can sponsor the site and, and folks do. And I'm very grateful for, uh, it's actually Revenue Cat this week sponsoring it, which is great. Thank you, Revenue Cat. Um, that's some money that helps, you know, pay my mortgage. <laughs> um, book sales, obviously people buy books, yeah. which, is, uh, which is great. Often they buy it just to support my work, to say thank you for something they've done. But right now the, the, the biggest plan for me is my subscription service, Hacking with Swift Plus, um, where folks can pay 20 bucks a month or 200 bucks a year. So, you know, getting two months free and get regular videos and articles from me explaining things in detail. And it's been great fun to do because it really is lots and lots of detail I wouldn't otherwise do in the site. So I pick a topic and, you know, do a 30, 30 minute talk or 40 minute video on this one topic, you know, once, twice a week. And uh, it's been great to explore. It's a lot of fun to just look at, hmm, how does this really work? Let's do a little tangent here and a little tangent here and explore the whole thing in a wider way. So that's proved, proven very, very popular right now. So I'm glad for that. And that's very new. That launched last year, right? It launched June last year, just in time for Dub Dub. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I'm already up to what? I'm already up to I think 93 videos, um, and it's at least 24 hours of content already, just from these very very long videos I make. So it's interesting because when I think of a subscription based, you know, business, what I often think is that like frees up the creator to kind of explore more and do more. But you've you've always been doing a lot. And I guess partially because you're not driven by ad sales, uh, the way like clicks weren't your metric before either. Um, but it seems like you have a huge breadth of types of things you do. How do you like prioritize what you want to do or what type of thing, you know, YouTube, you've done a bunch of like book projects. You have that like uh, Swift community awards. How do you prioritize like what it is you should be spending your time on? Uh, very badly. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it comes down to the, the same problem we have with coding in general. We are excited about what we're excited about. You know, whatever is in our brain right now, we want to do more of it. And so when I write a book, which doesn't happen so much anymore, you know, I'm not, not doing that so many books anymore. I, it, whatever's in my brain right now, it gets, it's, I'm preoccupied with it. I can't get rid of it. I've tried to sleep or watch TV or do some regular work or whatever. And this idea keeps coming back to haunt me, haunt me, haunt me. I want to do this, do this, do this thing. And it ends up being a book. Like usually I can't get rid of it. If it's still there six months later, I've got to write a book about it, get rid of it, get it out of my head. <laughs> and so I've written books about, you know, Mac OS, watch OS, even TV OS. And you know, it, for, for that time, I was just doing three or four months of solid watchOS coding every day, all day, even weekends sometimes, coding, coding, coding watchOS. I made dozens of apps for watchOS, exploring it, trying it, seeing what was really possible, and then picked out all my favorites and made a book out of it. Uh, and normally that was fine. Normally that wasn't a problem. It became a problem in 2019 when SwiftUI launched because my macOS book is AppKit. My watchOS book is WatchKit. 
and folks now want Swift UI. And you know, any book you buy from me comes with a, a lifetime update for free. Ooh. So whenever I write a, a update for a book, you'll get it free of charge. And I, I'll, I'll stand by that. And so I could very easily say, you know, macOS, AppKit, macOS, UI, different platform. That's not an update. That's a complete rewrite. You've got to pay for it again. But I haven't done that. You know, I, I, I released a, a watchOS update last year, completely rewrote the book from scratch in SwiftUI. So you now learn SwiftUI for watchOS, specializing on that platform with native uh, projects. And it was a free update to everyone. Man, and that feels like a rewrite. <laughs> it, it was a complete, every every word for every project was changed. Every Everything, single yeah. thing had to change. And that's fine. But I made it free for people who had bought the book because I, I want to stand by folks when they trust me with their money, when they choose me over another WatchOS book, of which there are zero, but you get the idea. Um, they know I'm going to look after them. They know their investment is safe because it's an investment. It's a learning investment in yourself and you only have so much money to go around, particularly right now. It's quite tight. So... I want to make sure folks said, yeah, I made the right choice with uh, Hacking with Swift. That's, that is uh, brave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the macOS one's taking a long time. It's a long time. You know, Swift UI for macOS is still not in a great place. Even things like, you know, showing the window is <laughs> bizarrely hard to do on <laughs> macOS or Swift UI. You've got to do it yourself, basically, which is silly. I don't understand why. Anyway, so that's behind where I'd like to be for sure. The TVOS book was never popular because it's tvOS <laughs> but I'll still update it at some point I still feel obliged to do it because I want folks to know you know they, they can trust me same for like the I released this thing called the frequent fly club and it's based on my old uh, PC slash Amiga gaming days when you, you bought a game and you put the game in to play it it would have copy protection built into the game would say um, to verify you bought this you haven't you know stolen it from a friend what is the fifth word on page 32 or something like that right and you read this word out and retroactively I added that to all my books so it'd say you know the frequent flyer word for this book is whatever and if you enter that word into the site along with your other words it unlocks extra bonus material you know new videos new downloadable stuff like wall charts and similar to have as a bonus as a thank you for buying my stuff again wasn't designed to be that way it was added as an extra thing like the free updates but I want to say folks you know I'm giving you above and beyond what you expected that's that's the the goal with all my work so another thing that seems like it's a through line with at least you uh the way that you you talk online is that one of the things that's important to you in in this field is bringing new people in and specifically trying to make our field more diverse and <laughs> this is something that as i've been doing this project in particular uh i've noticed i personally struggle with like my the world that I inhibit is uh, not very diverse, especially in the indie space, but just generally. But this seems like it's something that's really important to you. And I'm just curious, like, what are the types of things that people in this world can do to try and help that? And I know this is like a massive question that you, <laughs> I'm springing on you. So don't feel like you have to have something. I can easily cut this. But uh, I just didn't want to let this go without asking that question. <laughs> it, it is important that everyone gets involved and at the very least work towards making a better, healthier, happier community for whatever definition of that they have in their head. And that might be for them mentoring men. That's fine. And, you know, if you are contributing 
if you are helping people learn, getting alongside them and making a difference, that's great. There are a lot, lot of dudes out there who genuinely need help. Like real, I don't mean like, you know, my code is broken. I mean, actual support, you know, encouragement and empathy and showing them some love. That is a really, that is a good distinction that uh, I don't think I think through as well as I probably should. <laughs> but it's, it, it's, it's a problem. It's a real problem. Um, and actually, just, just today, there's a BBC News article in the UK about um, uh, uh, white men from poor backgrounds are hugely uh, disadvantaged and underrepresented at university because they don't get the support required to succeed and get left behind. And that's a real problem. And they're, they're, you know, when you compare them against some other um, minority groups or, 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 or girls at their same age, who at the same school, they'll, they'll be behind. And that's a problem. They feel left behind and feel like no one wants to help them. And that, that's, that sucks. So I'm not, I'm not saying everyone has to go all out to find uh, uh, women of color to sponsor or mentor or whatever. I'd love to see that. Um, but the, every single person can say, yeah, I can help someone who looks like me. Everyone can do that. And, um, you know, Charlie, you're a, you're a white dude. You must know a lot of white dudes who look up to you and respect you. I would love to have you come alongside and help them. I don't, again, I don't mean fix their bugs. I mean, genuinely, emotionally support them and encourage them and give them some direction in life because it can be really, really hard. Yeah. Think about, you know, when you were like, you know, 16, 17, 18, you, can, you get kind of angsty, you get kind of angry, you get a bit, you know, directionless or lost and it's hard. So having uh, someone older than you, a bit more experienced than you come along and say, yeah, I'm not going to sort of donate some money to a charity or whatever. I'm going to give up my time for you and help you and like I say go alongside you and stay with you for six months or a year or ideally longer makes such a massive impact and uh, yes yeah, so I, I think everyone can do that I would obviously personally like to see a more diverse community as you said a more inclusive and welcoming community um, I don't think we're particularly good at that in the Swift world which is a shame um, we've got a lot of work to do there um, but at the same time, you know, I, I need to be really, really conscious. I'm not sort of like uh, uh, um, a male savior coming in to help yeah. help those poor women who can't help themselves. No, they're doing amazing work. I'm just here to promote them and elevate them and make sure they have the space to succeed and do any support I can to help out. And so... Um, recently we launched um, Diversity in Swift on Swift.org, which is fantastic. We have now dedicated private communities for women in Swift and black in Swift, and that's going to grow. You know, it's only in the very first month now of, of Diversity in Swift. We're going to do a lot more. And a large part of that is giving these people uh, space to connect and feel safe and not feel judged and learn and grow and have a great time with Swift um, and I'm not involved in that. You know, I, I don't post on the Black in Swift forums or the Women in Swift forums. They're not for me, but I want to make sure they're able to happen. And I'm there advocating for them and sponsoring them. And, and you know, even, even recently, even just um, this month, literally this month, um, I was asked to speak at a conference. Really lovely people who run this conference. Great people. Love them very, very much. Um, but they had one female speaker. I said, that is not going to happen. I'm not going to speak there. Um can I suggest that I reach out to some friends I know and ask if they'd like to speak? 
I said, yeah, go for it. So I tap up two women I know are doing amazing work, say, hey, this conference is great. I trust them very much. You're doing amazing work. Do you want to speak? Yeah, great. Boom. And now they've got three female speakers. So it that's what I'm trying to do. It's not necessarily mentoring. And I'm not saying, yeah, let's let's chat and have a Skype call and exchange emails. I do that too. You know, I'm mentoring a lovely um, young woman right now at the local university. She's building an, uh, an application to handle mental health for um, uh, people who are experiencing financial problems right now in the pandemic or similar. And I'm, I'm mentoring her. But what I'm doing, this, this other thing is, is sponsoring, you know, saying, I will put your name forward. I will elevate you. I'll make the connections for you, for people I know. And that's just as, if not more important, you know, because they're already doing great work. They don't need mentoring. They're great, <laughs> but they are being ignored or overlooked or whatever and making those connections for them matters. So, you know, I do a variety of things. It's the TLDR, but yeah. uh, I, what I want to say is really, A, everyone can get involved. There's space for anyone. If you want to mentor young white men, go for it. If you want, if you're a listener uh, and you want to mentor young black men, or young black women, or trans men, whatever. There is space for you to do that. If you're able to sponsor people and put them forward and advocate for them and argue for them and fight for them too, do that as well. I mean, there's, there's a lot of space for anyone to get involved and uh, I'm happy to take part and do my bit, you know? There's there's kind of an interesting through line uh, from the interview I did with Ish. And I'm only like, I don't know, a third through the interview you just did with Ish uh, the other day. So maybe you guys talked about this too, but... He he has a really cool philosophy around that, which is basically just like do the small thing where you can. Yeah. And, you know, he has an amazing story that talks, you know, through somebody doing a small thing for him. But like, I, I like that, that idea of like anybody can jump in and it's weird. Like, I don't know. I, I always feel like I shouldn't say anything because I'm paranoid. I'm going to say the wrong thing. But I guess it's the same concept of don't let a uh, good be the or great be the enemy of good or whatever where it's like i sometimes hesitate to do anything because i'm afraid it's not the best thing right and just doing something is, is still better than doing nothing yeah and that that applies i guess in in this space just as well as any yeah it, it there's, a, there's a spectrum and you are i know absolutely certain you are very very far towards the nice end of the spectrum right <laughs> Uh, you know, you well, we've never met in person before. Uh, that's true. I'm yeah, only you know, nice in audio format. You're uh, only a, a nice sort of waist upwards, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Um, you know, I remember um, how many years ago it was, one of the presidents or vice presidents of the US was, I was at Mitt Romney maybe was saying, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't meet women in a private space. Ah, yeah, that was Pence. Oh, sorry, Pence. Anyway, yeah, so one of the more... Uh, Curious members of your government, um, ex-government now. Hooray! Anyway, um, and it was it was like a bit weird. Like, what do you think is going to happen? What do you you know? What if you're that scared of women saying you assaulted them or something? Like, what are you trying to say? It's just bizarre. The weird knots people twist themselves into to avoid helping out, and uh, you know, it's just the opposite of that. He wants to go out and help everyone and the example he gave was was mrs mead um his tutor who bought the apple II for him and helped him out and he said the world's always changing in the largest of ways from the smallest of things uh and it's it's so very true you know it doesn't take much having that coffee with someone or you know an extra second breakfast because you want to go and network with people 
can be the connection that gets them somewhere great. They have all the skills. They have all the training, the ability, the portfolio. They're missing the connection. And you can be that connection. Yeah. Just get in there and talk to them and get involved. And anyone can do that. You know, I, yes, fine. You know, I run a, a conference, uh, Hacking with Swift Live, once a year for charity. We've, we raised $30,000 last year, which is great. I ran a birthday stream this year, raising money for Teaching Swift UI for a local homeless charity. Uh, I built the Swift for Good book last year, year before, to raise money for Black Girls Code. Um, these are things I want to do to make a concrete difference to people. But what matters most is my actual time. I can donate money galore. Anyone can donate money. That's fine. You know, Jeff Bezos can donate money. He chooses not to, but he could do. But your actual time is limited. The number of hours you have in a day are way more valuable to you and to the people you give them to. So I encourage folks, you haven't got to have 50,000 YouTube subscribers or whatever in order to do this kind of thing. You can get involved and find someone to help and it'll make a huge, huge difference to that person. Yeah. And I, I really like the example of sort of expending your political capital to advocate for somebody, which may not even be seen, uh, but that can be make a huge difference in somebody's life. Or like in the case of Ish, where it's like, you know, how much of a difference does it make if Ish speaks at a conference for Ish? It makes some, but how many people does Ish inspire then? Yeah. You know, it's the compounding effects of all that. And so. Yeah. 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 Okay. I, I really appreciate that. Thank you. I know that <laughs> I hate springing like heavy questions on people like that, but uh <laughs> It's an imp it's an important question. You know, I, I keep telling folks, they say, oh, yeah, the Swift community is great. And I say, is it great? Is it great? Is great the word you mean here? Or is it good? Is it above average? Where are we in the world of programming language communities? And I don't think we're great. You know, I don't think we compare well against other communities. And the example I try and tell folks about, because it's local to me, was the UK Python conference, PyCon, which I went to two years ago. And it was a, in, a, in a, a building in Wales. It was all community run and so forth. There was no commercial behind it whatsoever. Um, but I went there because they had Children's Day. Like, come and bring your kid and we'll have fun with Python together. Interesting. And that was huge. Because, you know, how many conferences do you go to where you see kids in, in Swift? Hardly any. We kind of exclude kids. We don't want people with, uh, with, with kids there at all. You often see things done, you know, during work days when, you know, people have kids and so forth. It doesn't, doesn't work out for them. So we kind of self-select the kind of audience we have. And, of course, PyCon went further. They had a dedicated sign language interpreter at the front of the convention, uh, you know, signing every talk as it happened. And they had uh, text-to-speech. Um, so as someone spoke on the stage, it was transcribed on monitors below so they could, they could follow along and read it on the speech. They had uh, hearing loop things so you could hear through um, hearing aids. They had a free creche. So everyone who came along, hey, your kid can't go to the kids' day. That's fine. Go to the creche. It's staffed by qualified childminders who look after your kids so you can enjoy the conference. Um, if you're a breastfeeding mother, there's a nursing room just for you. It's quiet, set aside just for you. Um, they had, you know, mobility support, like lifts for wheelchairs and ramps for wheelchairs. They had lactose-free menus and vegan menus and gluten-free menus. They had a, a, a room, a, a quiet room for folks who had to pray at the right times. It was remarkable, all the things they offered. And then they said, hey, you know, 
if it comes right down to it, you can't afford to come, we have a financial grant. We will pay for your travel. We'll pay for your subsistence. We'll pay for you to take time off work as well as discounting the free tickets. And it, like this is the Python community isn't exactly a rich community, right? The iOS one, the cost of entry here for us, buying a, a Mac Mini is the cheapest thing you can do, and that's very expensive. But yeah. MacBook Pro or an iPhone or an iPad, very, very high. And we might do one of these things or zero of these things. And and that, that really uh, annoys me. It really gets me angry because seeing other communities do genuinely great things really encouraging everyone to come. Hey, you got kids? Come. Bring them with you. Put them in the crash. We'll look after them. It'll be fine. What you want to eat, what you want to pray, it'll all, it's all good. Come and join us in the Python world. And that is powerful stuff. And we don't have that. And it makes me angry. That is uh, that is fascinating. I mean, I, I haven't been to a Swift conference yet because uh, by the time I was in a position where I could start going to conferences, uh, the world fell apart. But uh, <laughs> that sounds like a really cool, like sort of aspiration or, or uh, maybe not aspiration, but uh, uh, what's the like totem? A thing to to look at to sort of aspire to for conferences. I mean, you've actually, I guess, you've actually organized conferences. I I feel bad like pushing on what a conference should do because uh, I I've never been in a position where I've tried to organize one. I know they're very complicated, but uh, they are. But you know, I, I've been to many, you know, forty, fifty conferences for iOS, just for iOS. Never mind beforehand as a journalist, where I went to lots of other conferences. And you know, they're great fun. I love meeting people there. I get the privilege of flying out somewhere, meeting folks, seeing their code, sharing my code, sharing their code, listening to some great talks, going to workshops, and then speaking myself most of the time as well. It's great fun. I love it very much. I'm not going to say otherwise. But when your conference is 500 bucks or 600 bucks, whatever, expensive conferences, and I see things like, yeah, on, on the first night is a is a boat party where there's free yeah. drinks and we'll sail around. And like, yeah, great. These rich iOS folks get a nice boat party, yada, yada, yada. How about you cancel a boat party and donate 50 grand to a charity? You know, <laughs> people who actually need the money. Or hey, that would do a lot of diverse tickets. That's like 100 diverse tickets right there. And it, it it just feels like more for people who have enough already. And I get it. They want to have a nice time. Of course, they want to have a nice time. They can do that without an expensive boat party. You can do it anywhere, quite frankly. And, you know, so the uh, Hacking Swift, Swift Live, we donate all our profits to charity, uh, a, a wonderful charity called Special Effect. They're based in the UK. And their goal is to produce custom hardware for profoundly disabled children and adults so they can play video games. So they can have fun with their family and friends in a sports game, like, you know, FIFA, soccer or whatever. They would otherwise be impossible to play because they could only move their eyes or only move, you know, two fingers. And they build custom hardware to make this possible. And for them, $30,000, $40,000 is a lot of money. They can help 30 or 40 people with that money. And they do. And, you know, I remember the first year, Last year was virtual because of the pandemic, but the first year was in person. And um, I want to show folks where their money's going. You paid your 300 bucks. Here's where your money's going. And I had to play a three-minute video from Special Effect. And I could barely get back on stage. So I was on the edge of tears because it's just so beautiful what they do. And they need the money. And, you know, last year with the pandemic, when, you know, lots of folks lost their jobs or... 
lost work, you know, they were, they were furloughed here in the UK, so they were on 80% income, for example. A lot of charity events were cancelled, you know, charitable runs and other things were cancelled. There's more need than ever for people to say, I'm going to, I'm going to donate my money and time. And so, yeah, I think, uh, the iOS world has a lot to answer for and a lot more we can improve on. And honestly, it doesn't take much. It doesn't take much. I mean, I, I like, I remember last, last year I did one of the TriSwift world workshops and, um, you can get paid for them. Here's the money. Here's, here's half the money, whatever it is from the workshop. I said, I, d- I don't want any money. Please give this away as diversity tickets. I had the same at, uh, in iOS Dev UK, a big iOS UK conference. You might imagine from the name, um, um, a, a, a iOS conference here. Again, thank you very much for your uh, money. I don't want it. Please have diversity tickets. And it helps people get that step forward. Helps them get somewhere they wouldn't otherwise be able to do. I don't need more money. I've got enough money. I've got a house and you know car and kids and stuff. My dogs are happy. I've got enough money. Let's help somebody else. This is a massive, massive rant. I apologize for that, but... Oh, no. <laughs> this is good stuff. I, I'm i bad about... Like I said, I I, I have the... Uh, well, I'm I literally doing it now, right? Big pause, because I'm afraid to say the wrong thing, and so I appreciate having somebody who will. <laughs> uh, and so, I no, I appreciate that, and... I, I think this is stuff that I need to hear, uh, honestly, to be <laughs> totally honest with you. So, uh, Right, but you need to understand, like I said, when you compare you on that spectrum towards the nice side, very much towards the nice side, versus the pence, I don't want to go into a woman a room alone with a woman because I might say, say I'll do the wrong thing. You are genuinely trying to do the right thing. And occasionally, you'll say the wrong thing. But you're not doing it maliciously. Everyone makes mistakes. I've made a ton of mistakes, stupid, massive regret mistakes in my life. And that's normal. That's just called life. <laughs> when someone says, hey, listen, that that sucked. You shouldn't have done that. You either say, no, 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 no. That's not offensive. I decide what's offensive. I'll do it anyway. And honestly, just, just please don't do that. That's a horrible thing to do. As my friend Adrian would say, that way is a path to the dark side. <laughs> Or you say, you know, you're right. I'm sorry. I'm going to do better. And it does not take much. It does not take much at all to take the second option there. And when I've been called out, and I do get called out. Of course I get called out. Not so often as I used to be, fortunately. I say, you know, I've, I can learn from this. I can listen to you, understand your perspective, and do better. And if you apologize, uh, folks will nearly always forgive you because they know it's not malicious. They know you're trying your best. So if you're sitting there worrying about saying the wrong thing, you're kind of doing it wrong. Say what you think is the right thing and you'll do better as you speak, as you learn, as folks feed back to you uh, because you are doing it with the right intentions. That's what matters. Well, I I appreciate uh, hearing all that. So thank you. <laughs> uh before i i guess i'm up tight a little bit over time maybe already but i don't want to let you go without asking the question i ask everybody which is uh what's a person or people out there that have inspired you and your work that you'd recommend other people check out uh the number one inspiration for me and i've talked about this a couple of times before um is a woman called kathy sierra and she's very very hard to find out more about because she made the cardinal mistake of being a smart woman on the internet Mm. and therefore got a lot of abuse. Yeah. And she was doxxed off the internet at least once, perhaps twice, um, by people who should have known better. And it's a real shame because she, 
is, was a massive luminary, so far ahead of the pack when it came to teaching. She started um, a series of books at O'Reilly called Head First, and they made uh, Head First Java, Head First SciPath, and Head First Statistics, Head First whatever, whatever, whatever. And her uh, and her partner built this way of teaching and it was such a breakthrough way to excite your mind, excite your brain, to make things really stick. And today, the main, I guess, leftover from that, apart from um, her books, the, the Head First series she, she edited, uh, is her old, 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 defunct blog, uh, which is Creating Compassionate Users. It's at headrush.typepad.com. And I refer folks to that a heck of a lot. Because not only the last post is basically, you know, I've had enough now. I can't, I can't handle uh, this internet anymore. It's, it's not good enough. I'm, I'm going to go away. And you know, if you read backwards, she'll give you information on what happened to her and why it's so terrible. And it was really, really atrocious. Now, proper, proper death threats from people and so forth. Yes. Anyway, but the last post, you kind of picked out her favorite pictures from her blog. And if you just read through, I don't know, there's like 15 of them, 10 of them. Read through those, you're like, wow. True, 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 all the way down. It's like, this is, this is exactly nails it. And I, I refer back to that myself. I refer other folks to that heck of a lot and say, look at this. It tells you in like uh, uh, seven words, everything you're going to know to write a great presentation, article, book, chapter. And I can, I can describe it over the, over the, the podcast. It's a, it's a line, one end beginning, one end end. And there's an arrow pointing to the beginning saying, don't start here. And about, you know, five centimeters, 10 centimeters, you know, an inch or whatever in, uh, it says, uh, uh, start here. You know, don't go at the very beginning, go after the beginning. That's where you start. And I remember, you know, I, I, I did a proof run of her, um, for a head first book. And I worked with her and Bert Bates, um, who was a co editor, co founder of the series. Uh, and they was explained to me where folks get it wrong. Like if you're writing a book about JavaScript, at the time, and still today, still today, so many books start with something like, in the 1960s, ARPANET <laughs> was like, no one cares. No one cares ARPANET or, you know, Tim Berners-Lee. If you want to have that, fine, put it in the appendix at the back. Get into, hey, you want to do JavaScript? I love JavaScript. Let's go. <laughs> That's where you start your book on JavaScript or whatever you want to write about. Leave the fluff, the boring history, whatever, the ancient history, way, way, way to the back and do it then. She has been a massive inspiration for me for at least 15 years. I got to meet in person once, just once, but lots of emails in the meantime. Uh, and she's she's been huge for me. Man, that is awesome. I've somehow missed out on this, uh, you ever talking about her. So I'm excited to check that out. Thank you. All right, so I guess we can go ahead and wrap up. Where's the best place for people to find you and your work? So I run a site called hackingwithswift.com. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I write posts there sometimes. I have a YouTube channel, um, but it's mostly Twitter. Let's face it these days, mostly Twitter. I am two straws, T-W-O straws on Twitter and on Reddit and GitHub and Stack Overflow. Um, one of those places you'll find me. 
You can email me, of course, if you want to. I am paul at hackingwithswift.com. Um, I have lots of presentations, you know, at various conferences when they, they're back to being live again. So you can perhaps come and say hello in person. I don't mind. And I might be a dub dub one of these years. That'd be good. Let's hope one day. <laughs> yeah. Well, last year was a washout, but I've been there for years before, so I don't mind so much. Last year was my first year that I was going to go. So uh, <laughs> I was pretty mm. devastated. Yeah. Oh, that's bad. Yeah. Uh, let's face it. This year isn't going to happen either, sadly. No, no. Um, yeah, I know. I it's... The first podcast mention of, uh, you know what? I don't think 2022 is going to happen uh, happened. And I'm not there. I don't necessarily think that, but it kind of wrecked me for the next couple hours, I think, uh, just internalizing the possibility that that could happen. Uh. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty grim. It's a shame because, you know, some of my friends live in the Bay Area. I get to see them once a year in person. Oh, I, I do Skype calls and similar or FaceTime and it kind of works, but it's not the same. You want to meet folks. Yeah. I want to I want to hug people, Charlie. I want to hug my friends again, you know. Uh, so I've got to wait a while. <laughs> so I, I have yet to meet anybody from the iOS community in person. Oh, wow. Uh, outside of where I worked. And now I, I switched jobs to a remote company. And so now even my coworkers are uh, all remote. So, <laughs> so I think, yeah, dub dubs off this year. I'm hoping next year. Just to see my friends hang out again. I miss it because it's a great event, great buzz, great vibe. You meet so many people and have random encounters, random breakfasts, lunch, dinners, drinks, whatever it is, coffee galore. Yeah, let's be for coffee. That times 10 a day, you have a lot of coffee. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> but it's really good. But you need it. Uh, oh, yeah. Crikey. Yeah, I do a lot of work at the blog. <laughs> it's a busy time for me. Oh, I bet. All right. Well, I will. I'll, I'll let you go so we can wrap up here. But uh, I just really seriously thank you. This was absolutely delightful. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to discuss the show, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Chucky C or tweet the show directly at launched.fm. I'd really appreciate a rating or review in Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Breaker, or whatever your podcast of choice happens to be. And you can find show notes and more at launched.fm.com. Launched.fm.com.